with your problems when they're not so bad. Or uh, the capacity for friendship is God's way of apologizing for our families. How's it going? Uh, or, or what? Nobody talks about one of Jesus' greatest miracles, having, 13 clo- or having 12 close friends in his 30s. No, I don't understand. I've always had lots of good close friends there. Okay, how about this one? Wise words. If you want to find out who your real friends are, sink the ship. The first ones to jump aren't your friends. That kind of works there. You can always tell a real friend. When you make a fool of yourself, he doesn't feel like you've done a permanent job. Another good one. Or this one. As your friend, I will always pick you up when you fall. After I finish laughing. And then the best of the lot, I think, is number nine. Real friendship is when your friend comes over to your house and then you both just take a nap. Only true, I guess, when you get older. So we've been talking about friendship. If you remember what we said last week, we said we must open our eyes to the real power of Christian friendship. I think it is one of the most underappreciated resources that we have as Christians. And our definition of friendship in general, friendship is welcoming people into your life, showing them affection, love, kindness, and generosity while creating a safe place for them to be open and honest so they can thrive as a person. I mean, that's friendship in any context, that idea of welcoming people into your life. But Christian friendship builds on this and becomes a gift of grace that you choose to give, but others must choose to receive. But this is a gift which costs you a lot, but ultimately will bring real power and deep satisfaction to your life. Doesn't always happen immediately, but it will. And it is extraordinary what I've seen over my lifetime of what God has done uh, when I stand together with a few friends. Uh, And how just a few friends standing together literally can change the world. Now, all of this means that we must and we actually can develop genuine friendships, especially Christian friendships. I mean, God has given us everything we need. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us to unite us with other Christians. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us to conform us to the image of Christ. Uh, Jesus has died on the cross and paid the price, not only for our sins, but for the sins of those who will sin against us. So we have the resources by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God in Christ Jesus to develop genuine friendships, especially Christian friendships. But these will not happen by accident. Such friendships, at least ones that 
really bring the most power uh, and the deepest satisfaction, they require intentionality on our part. And God has enabled us to have that. So how do we develop these Christian friendships? What can we do? What actions we take? And note, and this is so very important, we're talking about the actions that you can take. Now this does not mean that everybody you reach out to will be a friend. It does not mean that everybody you try to welcome in your life or you give that gift of grace to will become your friend. It's not going to happen. I think we all understand that, and we all know that. But here's the important point, and it's what Winnie, Winnie the Pooh was pointing at in number two above. You're not going to have the friendship if you just wait for people to come to you. You need to go to people, and you need to keep going to people and keep reaching out and take action to develop friendships. I have met too many people who saw themselves as victims. Uh, Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I guess I must eat worms, is what we used to say. Uh, And, you know, we can't... That's a lie. That's a lie. You can do something here. You are not a victim. You are not at the whim of other people to develop friendships, you have things that you can do, especially by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing who you are in Christ Jesus. Because ultimately, if you're a Christian and you're connecting people, and it's with Christians or with non-Christians, this is the truth, if you're a Christian connecting with people, they will not only connect with you, but they will connect with Jesus Christ who lives inside of you. That's why our friendship is one of the most important gifts that we can give to people who don't know Jesus Christ. And it's why our friendship is one of the most important gifts we can give to people who do know Christ. There's a real power here that we need to understand, we need to embrace, and we need to pursue. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, first, we need to make the effort to build healthy friendships. We need to make the effort. If you want a friendship that brings the real power and the satisfaction, you've got to make the effort in it. And it requires things. It requires shared time. There's no shortcut to developing a friendship. There's no quick way of doing it. You have to give time to it. It also requires shared attention. You need to be listening to each other, and you also need to be focusing on something larger than yourselves. It's not just about you, and it's not just about your relationship. It's about the other person And it's about those things beyond yourselves that you have in common. In the case of Christians, it's Jesus. But even when you're building a relationship with a non-Christian, there will be some value or something that you both hold in common that goes beyond just who you two are together. And you need to be having a shared attention on that. 
Friendship requires us sharing our resources, shared resources. Not only your time, but also your energy. Sometimes your money. It requires shared serving. You're doing something together to benefit others. It's one of the greatest ways to develop friendship. Again, that's one of the ways that we develop deep friendships in the church. I mean, I've really seen over the years one of the great things about a house of prayer. Uh, And I certainly see that in uh, in the way, you know, Kwame works with our house of prayer here. Uh, How many times people come into the house of prayer and they pray together, and in the end, they become friends. That's really powerful. It's not an accident because we're sharing ministry, we're sharing serving And this is everybody's favorite of the things we need to share. But one of the best ways to develop the absolute deepest relationship you can possibly develop, shared suffering. You know, nobody ever says amen to that. I I just never understand, you know, but, but it's true. It's true. I mean, when you go through the fire with somebody else, it builds a relationship. You probably heard the phrase band of brothers. That's a phrase that often is applied to uh, men, women who serve together in the armed forces, especially in the war, in war. It develops a relationship uh, that's very, very deep, and it happens because they are sharing difficult circumstances together. Now, I would encourage you not to try to produce difficult circumstances. Uh, Just let them come your way, and they will come your way. But you have to make an effort, and the effort comes as you share your life with the other person. And hopefully, they will share their life with you. The second thing we can do is we can maintain realistic expectations regarding having friendships that really endure, coming to the place of the deepest friendships in our lives. You know, I mentioned last week that the average person has no more than three really intimate friends, and most don't even have three. Uh, The average person has no more than 12 close friends. And again, most don't have 12. Uh, So we need to have realistic expectations about who's going to be in that circle of 12, who's going to be in that circle of three, and how is that going to happen? Now, we need to realize that friendships don't just happen. They take work. Occasionally, we will meet somebody that we seem initially to really click with and connect with. But even in those situations, it requires shared time, shared effort, shared energy, shared resources, the things I just talked about. We need to understand as well that friendships always make demands on you. 
A lot of people think, oh, I'm going to have a friendship and it's going to be really easy and I won't have to get really give a whole lot, but I'll get a whole lot out of that friendship. That's a lie. It doesn't happen that way. And one of the demands, one of the biggest demands that friendship makes on you is the need to give grace to other people. You give them grace for their faults and their failures and you give them grace when they make fools of themselves. You give them grace when they do things that hurt you. You got to give a lot of grace because friendship makes demands on you. We need to realize that friendships have ups and downs and ins and outs. Somebody that's a really, really seems like a really close friend today may not seem so close tomorrow. And sometimes a really close friend today may not be close tomorrow, but might be close the day after tomorrow. It happens. There are cycles of friendship. There are seasons of friendship. They go, they go up and down. They go in different directions, and we need to understand it. Friendships also will experience conflicts and difficulties. Every genuine friendship now, there's a lot of pseudo-friendships. There's a lot of false friendships. But hear me say this. Every genuine friendship will experience difficulties and conflicts, and the conflict and difficulty is a doorway that you have to go through to have a deep, authentic friendship. It's one of the reasons why I really challenge people in church to challenge me on things. It's a fearful thing. It really is. I, I understand that. It's hard for most people to say to a pastor, hey, listen, I think you've just sinned there. I think what you've done is wrong. But I want people to do that. Because I know that unless they do that, until they do that, we won't have the kind of friendship that they would like to have with me and I would like to have with them. It's a hard thing. And to make it easier sometimes, you know, people know that I tease a little bit. I try not to tease in a mean way or a cruel way, but I tease a little bit uh, because I want people to tease me back. You know, I like it when that happens. Some people, I, I've had people in the past get offended when that happens uh, when they see that happening, somebody teasing me, and it's like, that's the pastor. How could you say that to the pastor? But, you know, it's like, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, I don't take myself that seriously. I take Jesus seriously. But you know what? I don't even have to defend Jesus. I, I, I've learned in my lifetime, Jesus is more than capable of defending himself. You know, God has a way like that. Anyway, the important thing is to remember Conflict difficulty is a doorway that you have to go through if you want to experience friendships on the deepest possible level. Now, sometimes the conflict is internal to the friendship, like you hate each other for a while, and sometimes the conflict is external to the friendship, like a bunch of other people hate you, but you have to go through it. And we need to realize as well in these realistic expectations expectations that not all friendships are built to last. And that's okay. 
Not every friendship you have will be an intimate friendship. Not every friendship you have will be a close personal friendship in that closest circle. Not every intimate friend you have today will you have 10 years from now. It's just the way of life. A lot of times people think, well, I've got a friendship and the friendship has to endure forever. No, that's not the case. I mean, and that's one of the reasons why you get, you know, if it's a friendship between a man and a woman, that God has a marriage covenant. You know, because he understands that a husband and a wife, very different people, a man and a woman, very different genders, that at some point in time, they might get really, really upset with each other. And if they had just a friendship, they would probably break apart. But if they have a covenantal relationship, they will last and endure. So, uh, so yeah, marriage is built to last, but not all friendships is built, are built to last. And that's absolutely okay. Some of your friendships will be what I call missional friends. They will be friends with people who are serving Jesus with you or friends who are engaged with you at work. It could be at work. You know, you're, you're on a, a work team with another person. And during the course of working with that person, you get pretty close and you have a pretty deep friendship. And then you start to think, well, this friendship's going to last forever. But actually, I tell you, it doesn't. Another phenomenon I see a lot is people who go to a conference together. I've been on uh, several training conferences in, in, the, in the secular workplace, uh, not just in the, in the Christian context. And uh, you spend five days with a group of people, and at the end of that five days, it's, it, this always happens, it's so predictable, you'll get at least one person in that group and sometimes it could be only two days. You get at least one person in that group like, oh, you are the best friends that I've ever had in my entire life. And we really do need to keep close. Uh, so let's, uh, you know, let's set a WhatsApp group so we can, you know, just text each other and, and, you know, just keep developing our friends. And, oh, we have to go out to dinner together. We have to get together. Uh, and, uh, uh, okay, I'm doing a really poor imitation of women. But men do that too. It's not just women. Uh, and, and in the end, it will last for a week or two, and then nobody cares. And it's not because there wasn't something real there. It was real, but it was missional. It's going to be highly transitional. When you stop doing stuff together, you won't have that friendship anymore. Uh, you'll have seasonal friends as well. Friends who will be with you for various time periods in your life. In each church that I've pastored, I've had very deep friendships that were seasonal friends. When God called me away, then those friendships dissipated, and that's normal. Uh, I've also had friendships from each church that I've pastored that have endured many, many years beyond that. I have a friendship from seminary uh, I mentioned last week my friend Bill that's lasted for uh, more than 30 years now, even though we're not constantly together. No, but I have many friends from seminary that were good friends, but I have no idea where they are and what they're doing today. 
They were seasonal friends. Uh, And then some of us will have lifelong friends. And these are friends who remain your friends throughout your whole life. And most of us don't have many of them. Uh, I can't, I don't know the number Karen and I have, but it's probably less than 12. But the way you know if somebody's a lifelong friend is if you don't see them for a year and you meet up with them and it feels like you just saw each other yesterday, then you probably have a lifelong friend in that person. And I've had a few of those. So we need to get these realistic expectations in our mind and maintain those expectations for our friendships because very few things destroy friendships as much as unrealistic or unmet expectations. And so we have to be realistic in that. Now the third thing, if we want to develop and maintain and grow deep friendships, is that we need to repent of the sins that destroy friendship and destroy the possibility of friendship or destroy the possibility of friendship becoming deep and strong. Now, all sin can injure any friendship, but there's a number of sins that are particularly destructive to friendships. The first one and foremost is pride. Pride. And you need a friend to know if you're proud. Because if you've not heard this, it's very true. Pride is like bad breath. Everybody knows you have it but you. So there's nothing like having a good friend who can tell you, hey, you're a little bit stuck up. That's haughty. You're a bit full of yourself. Well, you need to do that. You need to get rid of pride. Uh, And when it comes up in any way, shape, or form, you must repent immediately. Because pride destroys your life in Christ, but it also destroys every friendship you have. Second big sin is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. We must practice ruthless forgiveness. We took, I think I talked about that last week. If you hold any unforgiveness in your heart, it will poison every single friendship in your life. And unforgiveness will poison friendships that are not related to the unforgiveness. You know, for example, if I have, you know, falling out with one of our elders and I refuse to forgive that elder, it will poison my relationships with the worship team, even if that elder is not on the worship team. Now, I'm not talking about Olashina. We, we've got good friendships here going on, so no poison there. So don't be reading into any of these ex- examples. But you understand, bitterness, unforgiveness, poisons every relationship in your life, not just the one that's hurt you. And forgiveness is about pain, it's not about wrongdoing. So if somebody hurts you, I mean, if you've got a friend and they're an hour late to a coffee 
uh, a coffee date that you set up. <clears throat> I mean, and your coffee's grown cold. Uh, you need to forgive your friend. Now, maybe you find out that, oh, well, uh, the buses broke, broke down or somebody had a heart attack and your friend had to save their life. Uh, but you know what? You've still been wounded in that situation. You just need to say, well, Lord, I choose to forgive my friend for being late. And it's better to do that before you find out that they just saved somebody's life. Let me tell you, just do it immediately. Do it immediately. Third big sin, self-centeredness. And you know you're self-centered if you start making demands of that friendship. Oh, well, you're not spending enough time with me. Uh, well, you know, I, I bought lunch three times and you've not bought lunch any, so you need to buy lunch four times. Now, any kind, any attitude like that where you start making demands in the friendship, that kind of self-centeredness will destroy the friendship. Another sin is taking offense. Remember, you choose to take offense. Nobody can offend you unless you choose to take offense from that person. So if you take offense, that's your problem. It's not the person who offended you. And that's a hard thing to say in our society today because a lot of people love to take offense. They make a game of taking offense because if I take offense, then I can control you by my choice to take offense. And that's evil and sinful. And we must repent. Not resolving your anxiety. We all deal with anxiety. But anxiety distorts everything. You cannot see reality as long as you're holding on to unresolved anxiety. Now, so if you want to know how to resolve anxiety, just apply Philippians chapter 4. I'm not going to preach on that today. And the last one is living in the fear of rejection or getting hurt. So let's deal with the fear of rejection and getting hurt right now, okay? Are you ready? You ready? People will reject you. Get over it. There we go. We got that one taken care of. How about this one? People will hurt you. Forgive them. Get over it. That's true. I'm sorry. I mean, it sounds harsh. Uh, and... I don't know if this is encouraging or not, but I, you know, if I look back on my friendships over, say, the last 40 years, I've probably been hurt a lot more and a lot more deeply than I ever thought I would be by my friends. Uh, and let me tell you this further. My friends have hurt me more deeply than my enemies ever could. That's very powerful. We need to know that. So we, gotta, we just have to set it aside. It won't always get rid of the fear. Won't always get rid of the anxiety. But I guarantee you, if you have friends, some of them will reject you and some of them will hurt you. 
And if you want evidence, just look at the life of Jesus. He had 12 close friends in his 30s, yet one of them betrayed him. One of them rejected them, rejected him in public. And let's, let's see, let's, well, that leaves 10. And nine of them ran away at his darkest moment. By the way, his, his close circle of three, when he was in the deepest moment of pain in his life, they fell asleep. So it tells you, you know, this happens in friendship. It happened to Jesus. It's going to happen to us. As Jesus says, no one's greater than his master. Okay, so that's the third thing. You got to repent of the sin. You have to say, God, I'm sorry. I have sinned. I confess my sin. I renounce my sin and I turn away from it and I want to replace it with righteousness and truth. So what do you replace sin with? Well, it leads on to the fourth point here. In order to build healthy friendships, we must live out the seven key values for forging healthy friendships. Seven values are at the heart of really healthy, lasting friendships, and I'm going to cover them quickly uh, so that you know. Value number one, giving grace. Giving grace. Where you overlook the faults and the failures of your friends, you forgive them quickly, you make allowances for their character flaws. Uh, My translation of Ephesians 4.32 is this, Give grace to one another as God in Christ has given grace to you. Proverbs 17.9 says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. And sometimes if you're the close friend repeating the matter, you separate yourself from your friend. Value number two, number one, giving grace. Number two is loyalty. Loyalty. What is loyalty? It's an unswerving allegiance to the person, especially when they're not present. And despite some of the things that they might do wrong. Now, by an unswerving allegiance, it doesn't mean that you stand up for them when they're in clear, open, obvious sin, but I consider it most loyal. My most loyal friends will tell me when I'm in sin. One of the biggest ways you can tell a loyal friend from a disloyal friend is a loyal friend will tell you when they think you're in sin. A disloyal friend will tell somebody else when they think you're in sin. Big thing. Number two. Number three now, faithfulness. Especially in the midst of difficulty. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A brother is a very, very close friend. This one in that closest circle. We have to be faithful day in, day out. That's where, what defines faithfulness. Not hot and cold, come and go. The next one. I think this is, is that number five? We've got giving grace, loyalty, faithfulness. Number four is honesty. Honesty. This is being open and transparent. Oil and perfume 
Proverbs 27, 9 says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Or Proverbs 27, 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. You want your friends to be honest with you. Next one, number five, integrity. This is where you have no agendas. You're not trying to get something out of that friendship. You're not building a friendship for your own selfish ends. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend, Proverbs 22, 11. We need to have that kind of integrity. Number six, generosity, where you give of yourself openly and freely. It's not about money. It's about your whole attitude and disposition toward other people. Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to him who gives gifts. Proverbs 19.6. And the final value here, obviously for us as Christians, is love. That's what Jesus said. You know, greater love has no man than this, and to lay down his life for his friends. I've loved you, you love each other as I have loved you. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, and that is the friend who learns how to love. That's Proverbs 18.24. So these seven values we need to live out as Christians. We need to live out these values. If we violate these values in our relationships with any person, especially in a close personal relationship, say marriage, uh, uh, say close personal friendship, if we violate these values, we undermine the power of friendship. And if we live out these values, even if it costs us, and it will cost you to live out these values, if we live out these values, we will develop friendships that are powerful, that are enduring, that really manifest the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And the thing about this is, Living these values does not depend on a single person other than yourself. And you have everything you need in Christ Jesus to live out these values right now. Right now. And so as we make the effort to develop the friendships, as we maintain healthy expectations, as we repent of the sins that destroy the friendship, as we live out the values that enhance our friendships, we will have friendships that endure. You may not have a lot of friends. Doesn't mean you're going to get uh, 40,000 followers on Instagram. Doesn't mean you're going to have you know 10,000 Facebook friends. Uh, it doesn't even mean that you're going to have a th- three close personal friends, intimate friends. But you will have friends. You will have friends. You keep going. You don't quit. You know, ultimately, Jesus called us his friends. And the least we can do as Christians is to act like friends. 
friends of each other, and friends of Jesus. The goal here is not having as many friends as possible. The goal for us as Christians is to become a friend to others, a friend who is like Jesus in their lives. Our goal is to be a friend to as many people as possible without making demands and without seeking something for ourselves in return. If we do this, we will discover many genuine friends. Most importantly, we will show the reality of Jesus Christ, our deepest friend, who died on the cross and rose from the dead so that we might have eternal life that's filled with friends. Father God, we thank you and praise you for this amazing gift you've given us in terms of friendships. We honor you, we worship you, we thank you, we adore you. Uh, It is an amazing thing that you've given us these friendships. It is an amazing thing that you've done for us in giving us friendships. Uh, We cannot thank you enough. And Jesus, thank you for being our friend. Thank you for being such a dear, close friend that you were willing not only to die on the cross for us. I mean, that, that is extraordinary in and of itself. That you were willing to die for us on the cross, that you rose from the dead, uh, that is amazing. But also you demonstrated your friendship love for us by even coming and being born as a human being. Coming to this earth to live with us, to come alongside of us. You welcomed us into your life in the Father. You welcomed us and you treated us with such kindness and grace and generosity. And you've created a safe place, not only for us to be the people you've created us to be, but also for us to become the people, people like you who can love as you love, who can live as you lived, who can serve as you serve, who can have relationships as you had them, filled with grace and wonder and power and joy. And we thank you, Jesus, for being our friend. And we thank you, Jesus, that we have this opportunity every month we gather together and we have this opportunity around this table to affirm again how great, amazing, and wonderful you are. To affirm again all that you have done for us. To share in your body and your blood that you broke and poured out for us on the cross. And to know again that your brokenness on the cross The wounds that you receive there are the wounds by which we are healed. And we thank you. 
Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd bless this bread and this cup, that they would be for us your body and blood, broken and shed on the cross. Lord Jesus, I pray that once again, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would unite us in your amazing fellowship with the Father and the Spirit, and that you would unite us by the Spirit with one another in yourself as your body. We love you, we praise you, we worship you, we adore you, and ask that you bless the bread and the cup for us now. We pray all this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Maybe uh, Olashina and Mr. Coop, if you could come and give me a hand as we serve this. Now, once again, we come to the table of the Lord. And uh, once again, uh, we're going to distribute these and then we will all share together in this.